Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There wasn't time for just one part on The World Is Not Enough on the big screen, so here's part two. And also bear in mind, we've got a ridiculously long, epic review of the film, which we recorded, I think, in 2020, as well as a tribute to Michael Apted, the director of this great Bond film. I pulled the plutonium out of the one inside. You can detonate the triggers now. Okay. Look, our IDA physicist... Don't bother. Not interested in man. Take my word for it. This year we decommissioned four test sites. Not even a glimmer. Are you here for a reason? Or are you just hoping for a glimmer? And you are? Mikhail Arkos, Russian Atomic Energy Department. Miss... Doctor. Jones. Christmas Jones. And don't make any jokes, I've heard them all. I don't know any doctor jokes. This is okay. Take the elevator down the hall. Your friend's already down there. Don't I get some kind of protection? No, Dr. Arkoff. Down there, it's all weapons-grade plutonium, reasonably safe. Up here, we've got hydrogen bombs that your lab built leaking tritium, which I've spent the last six months trying to clean up. So if you need any protection at all, it's from me. Hi, it's Math Pickup here from Really 007. Last night I had the pleasure of um, of going with Betty, my girlfriend, and Sam Rogers to the showing of The World Is Not Enough at the Odeon Cinema. This is a film that has um, has gone up in my estimations over, particularly over recent years, particularly due to the to the encouragement and uh, the great campaigning by by the man John Kell. And we we had a wonderful time reviewing it a couple of years ago now. So I would suggest people can have a, a listen to that obviously it's very long um as is the case for for all our reviews but we had a great time reviewing that in that process that was um that was a big part of this film going up in my estimations so yeah um it was wonderful to see it again on the big screen i saw it 
but way back in 1999 when it first came out of the cinema and to do so again was an absolute joy. It was very interesting I found to watch this um, a week after Tomorrow Never Dies which um, for me is a really enjoyable 90s action film, a very easy watch, um, almost one that you can you can kind of leave you leave your brain at the door and and go in and enjoy it, which I did very much so when watching Tomorrow Never Dies last last week. But then moving quite quickly onto the world is not enough, there is definitely a, a, a quite a big difference, and that's something that I've not appreciated enough over over the years because I think there was a clear emphasis to try and make it a bit less action-focused and more character-driven and plot-driven. Now, in terms of the plot, it, it can be a bit confusing at times, and perhaps, in some ways, for some people, the stakes might, might not be high enough, but I find it quite an original plot. And there are certain aspects I don't really understand. One thing I, cert I, I definitely don't understand is the blooming, um, the bomb and the money how it kills Robert King and Tanner Blessing giving that explanation of you know various magnesium things and some acid on some ice cubes or something still don't understand that don't really care but yeah um, from, from the start it's a really exciting film we have that great sequence in Bilbao of course title sequence was supposed to come after that and that would have been the pre-title sequence just on its own but they decided that wasn't enough or wasn't long enough so so we have the scenes in MI6 which is very unusual for, uh, for a pre-title sequence and then the huge boat chase which is very exciting it really is I mean I, I can understand that some people might find that it goes on a bit too long but it is an exciting sequence and on the famous London landmarks, particularly the Thames, but then the Millennium Dome, makes it very interesting and something we've not seen before. So on, on to the rest of the film. It's fascinating to see, and this is something that was highlighted by Sam Rogers, so Sam who went to see the film with, about the, the similarities and the themes and the homages that the world is not, the world is not enough has with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Obviously the title is, is something that's referenced in On a Majesty's Secret Services, but there are other clear references. And this was something they were going for with, with saying that, that Bond was, was thinking that he'd met his next Tracy or his new Tracy, but in actual fact, it was Blofeld. There's the fact of Electra's earlobe, which, um, which would seem to be a nod. There's her outfit when they go skiing. There's the skiing scenes themselves, which are wonderful to see. I think they're the last skiing sequences that we've seen in Bond, and it would be nice to see some of those again. To add to other things such as the naval uniform and scuba um, kind of scenes that we've not seen for years. But then for it all to change and, and the way that, that Electra is revealed as a villain, I think he's done absolutely brilliantly. And, and her performance, Sophie Marceau's performance, is, is magnificent throughout. And I think, as I think I said in the review at the time, she's one of the best female characters in the whole film series for me. Brilliantly written, brilliantly uh, portrayed. It's almost her story, the whole, the whole film. Then uh, the other characters are, on the whole, pretty pretty interesting, but none can live up to, to Electra. I mean, Christmas Jones will be debated, well, condemned by many as being one of the worst Bond girls. I think it's a little harsh. I think it probably could, if they'd been a bit bolder, then they might have decided they don't need that, that sort of love interest so that Bond goes away happy at the end of the day. But that was what they decided at the time, and they, they felt it might have been too big a leap. So fair enough, and I think she does a fairly solid job in what she's given. We have Renard, there are issues with Renard and not able to use his, in inverted commas, superpower. But again, you know, perhaps I've, I've heard the point made that, you know, the point is that he isn't the villain in the end. It's it's Electra. And the similarities between The World Is Not Enough and, and you know, a great favorite film of mine, The Dark Knight Rises are clear. And Christopher Nolan, 
obviously has had a lot of Bond influence in his films, particularly his Batman films. We've seen loads of things, particularly from Licence to Kill and The Living Daylights and, uh, and other things. But, but here, I do think there's a great similarity between the motivations of, of Elektra and Renard and then Talia al Ghul and uh, Bane which are you know, pretty fascinating to see, and I, and I would love to find out more about that. Uh, on to Pierce, I think he gives one of his best performances as Bond in his third film. He does it in his own way, and for some people that, that doesn't quite work, but I, I, I like it and comes across as, as likeable, sympathetic, but then there are various things where a sort of mirror is put up against him, when, particularly when Electra says, uh, confronts him and essentially says that you were using me as bait, waiting for Renard to strike so that you could get him rather than just protecting me, which is pretty interesting. I think in the action stakes, the film isn't as good as, uh, as Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. I think that was because of the clear choice of, of having a director who was more keen on, on sorting the, the characters and, and developing those than the actual action sequences themselves. But they're not all bad. They're, they're not all bad. The Parahawk scene, the uh, nuclear bunker scene, and the the one on uh, Valentin Sarkovsky's caviar factory. Just to, just to mention, a, another great performance as Robbie Col- uh, of Robbie Coltrane as Valentin Sarkovsky. It, it really is. And I, you know, he, he is a fantastic Bond ally who should be put up there with, with the very best, in my, my opinion. And the way he, he saves Bond and ultimately he's given his life is, uh, is touching. And you do feel sadness when he dies. So anyway, I'm rambling on and on. Forgive me, I'm sure there's plenty more I wanted to say. Oh yeah, I wanted to say about the similarities between this and Skyfall, which are a little bit, I don't know, a little bit jarring at times. And particularly the fact that the main villain's motivation, or certainly part motivation, is the fact that they've been kidnapped by terrorists and M, Judy Dench's M, refused to play ball or uh, you know in the world is not enough's case uh, advised robert king not to play ball and negotiate with terrorists resulting in the villain turning and becoming um the villain that 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 they that they are and and causing their motivations to act against uh m and and everything so i do think that it's a little bit jarring but i mean i i like both films and um and so I'm willing to um, I'm willing to overlook it, shall we say? M in this film has a bigger role than ever before. I think I think she does a very good job. As I've said before, I find it funny that Electra, even though she's a family friend, calls M M, not you know whatever Olivia Mansfield or whatever her real name is. But yeah, Dame Judy does a great a great job, and uh, and obviously a final shout out for when she says Bond. So the world is not enough. Really enjoyed it was so happy to see it again on the big screen. It's one that lots of people say is underrated. Lots of people call out to the people who say it's underrated. I still think it is underrated. And yet one I always enjoy watching, one which always surprises me pleasantly whenever I watch it, one which I hope will continue to do so. So I have watched uh, The World Is Not Enough tonight. Unfortunately, I was on holiday during this week, so I've not been able to see it at the cinema, which I was gutted about because it's, it's one that I'd have loved to see again as it was the first ever Bond film I saw on on the big screen. But I've come back tonight from holiday and I thought I'd put on blue on the Blu-ray. One of the main reasons is, as well as I love this film, but I've just been so chuffed with the recent Twitter chat about how people really are starting to love this film feel it's underrated and i just felt i wanted to watch it and just share again some of the things why i love it 
what I wish I saw on the big screen. I can't wait to hear this review to have people who've seen it on the big screen. I think the first thing I want to start with is Michael Apted. And I think because as I watched it, and I've seen a bit of criticism, and I think some of it is fair actually, that maybe his the scale and the camera angles of some of the shots, maybe some of the action that's filmed, isn't necessarily all that cinematic. And in some aspects, I think there, there's, there's some reason behind that. I absolutely adore this film, but I'm not going to just try and turn a blind eye to everything. But Michael Apted more than makes up for this by being the perfect character director, especially in terms of Electric King. And Electric King in this movie is the absolute standout. This week on Twitter, I said that I felt that uh, The World Is Not Enough is the most ambitious Bond film of the last 25 years. I wasn't saying that to be provocative, and I'm not saying it's necessarily the best. I prefer Casino Royale overall. But why I think it's so ambitious is, is that when you look at the context of what's happening and at that time of Bond films coming out every two years and you've just got back into the swing of things with Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies is a very by-the-numbers Bond film that executes everything very well, very exciting. And you think to yourself, you're probably going to ask for more of the same. And then they bring in The World Is Not Enough, which has probably the biggest twist in a Bond film possibly of all of them to have a character um, study on a woman who starts off as Bond's lover and regardless if we think that like you know um, they fall in love there is clearly an emotional attachment between Electra and Bond. Bond is clearly drawn in by uh, her victim status as you see when he's like looking at the news articles but even the scenes such as the skiing scenes really evoke memories of Tracy with uh, Lazenby and Diana Riggs skiing. I don't think I can think of a Bond film before this, obviously Vesper after, where they spend so much time focusing on the relationship Bond has with female, obviously um, post-Tracy. And they really invest in, in this and it's very, very believable. So to actually then have the major twist that she is the main Bond villain and everything that comes, every bit of this plot is all based around her scheme is so ambitious. And regardless if you think that it, if it pulls off or not, absolute credit to the producers for taking this turn. They obviously got Purvis and Wade in and it's their first script. And we know that Purvis and Wade are very into their character studies. Some work far better than others. But I think it shows how good a script this is in terms of the idea and the story. With the fact that so much of this plot is borrowed in the Skyfall uh, film itself. I understand that it's got some of the Purvis and Wade ticks, like some of the jokes that come. I would have loved to have heard, I thought Christmas only came once a year on the big screen. I would have laughed even if no one else would have done. But I think that there is so much to love about this. As I was watching For Your Eyes Only the other month, I, I remember the line that Melina Havelock says where she says uh, she is Greek and like Greek woman like Electra. They always avenge. And I just wonder if that was a reference and one of the reasonings why 
Sophie Marceau's character was chose to be called Electra, just as a reference to the fact of revenge from the Greek goddess Electra, or even just harking back to that line from Fior Eyes Only. And even if it wasn't, I'd like to think it is, because it's absolutely brilliant. One of the criticisms I hear about this film are some of the weak male villains, such as uh, Renard, especially how Renard is built up to be super strong, and then that's maybe not necessarily explored as much. Uh, other characters that I've heard criticisms of before, people like Mr. Bullion, Gabor, Davidoff, these kind of characters. And there is an element that, yeah, they are very weak. But to me, it's deliberately done. The idea of this is is that Electra rules over all these men, and and they are weak men. And I I feel that it's a deliberate move by Apted that he decides not to explore a lot of Renard's um, attributes that we see at the beginning on the scene when they start talking about all these all his strength and how he feels and all his terrorism background. Because the point is, is that as this film goes on, Renard is a feeble character. He is a puppet completely played by Electra, willing to commit suicide so that she can use him just so she can have the pipeline. I, I really think the more I think about this, this is just such an ambitious plot, such a great character study, and something that I wish I would have been able to see on the big screen. I deliberately made the point this time of putting my phone in the other room so I could concentrate as much as I can, be immersed in the story as much as I possibly could in, the, in my living room. One thing I really appreciated this time round is David Arnold's score. I think David Arnold's score is is most underrated. I know a lot of people feel that his best from the Brosnan era is Tomorrow Never Dies. For me personally, it's this one. And I think that Tomorrow Never Dies is a response to Sarah. I really feel that uh, there is a lot of Bond theme in there. It's very, I won't say by the numbers, but it's very Bondian in the brass and all the rest of it. And, and it, but in some ways, it's it's trying so hard to be Bond, and it's great, don't get me wrong. This one, to me, is a bit more subtle. I absolutely love the only myself to blame motif that's played every time there's anything to do with plutonium, and it, uh, which is Electra's theme as well. And maybe that's because I heard Cue the Music perform it at their last concert in Bradford. It's really got in my head, but that kind of subtle, just little piano motif is very, it to me is more Barry than what we had in Tomorrow Never Dies, where it's almost, with respect to Arnold, trying to be Barry too much. That's not, a, I don't want that to come across negative because I love both scores, but I'm just trying to highlight, I think the subtlety of this score is superb. To me, this is Brosser's best performance as well. I think Brosser just, he has that relaxed nature that he has in Tomorrow Never Dies, but he has the element of putting dramatic chops into it. And he gives a great performance. And it's by his deduction that he knows that Electra's in the wrong. And you can see that. Sometimes his performance isn't all that subtle. He has some amazing pain faces in this. But he's still, it's not just all dour and emotional. There is some absolute brilliant chemistry in this film. His chemistry with Valentin Sikorsky is just so top-notch. There's so much to love about this film. And I could go on and on, and I have done. 
But I wanted to just be honest and go as well about Christmas Jones. And I know that Denise Richards really gets a bad rap. And listen, I've got to be honest, I sat there tonight and I laughed at some of those lines. I can't defend some of the lines that she says. But this does not detract from the film for me. The, the, the female characters you have to invest in in this film are the ones that have motivation. And the ones that have motivation are Electra, clearly. And M, and understanding M's motivation for using Electra's bait and the revenge aspect that comes with that from Electra. Christmas Jones, I get that she might be tagged in to the end, but she doesn't harm the story in any way. Denise Richards gives a good performance in terms of that she tries as hard as she can and I really don't feel that the criticism to just bash over time is that fair. She doesn't take anything away from the story and I just can't wait to hear some thoughts from people who saw it uh, on the big screen and what they thought of Denise Richards. There's absolutely loads I love of this film. I'm so glad that it just seems to be getting a bit of a renaissance with Bond fans, because I think it's really, really deserved. And I just can't wait to hear this review, to hear everyone's thoughts about World Is Not Enough on the big screen. So thanks a lot, and I'll see you next week when I go back to the cinema to watch Die Another Day. Hello, this is Gary Kay. Didn't get to see World Is Not Enough on the big screen, unfortunately, this week. However, I did watch it at home. Did the thing of putting on noise-cancelling headphones to give a kind of surround sound effect, and have to say that I thoroughly enjoyed the film. It's obviously not as impressive as watching it on a large cinema screen with a, an incredible, powerful cinema sound system. However, I thought it was a great piece of entertainment, a um, bit of fun. thought Pierce was decent throughout the entire film. I have a preference for him in Tomorrow Never Dies over his performance in The World Is Not Enough, but that may be down partly to the the script. I thought the script was tighter in Tomorrow Never Dies. Also, the humour level was higher in Tomorrow Never Dies as well, which I also enjoyed more. Um, having said that, there were laughs along the way in World Is Not Enough and some incredible set pieces. I love the pre-title sequence with the um, the jet boat, I thought that looked absolutely incredible going along the Thames and um, some little humorous moments along the way as well. And um, the other thing that I like very much in the film and remember enjoying very much on its original cinema release is the sequence with the Parahawks, the ski chase with the Parahawks. thought that was very nicely realised, certainly um, a standout moment from the film. Standout performance for me for the film was definitely Sophie Marceau as Electra. Just think she's such an incredibly strong actress, incredible screen presence, and a beautiful looking woman as well. You you are just captivated by her when she's on the screen, and she makes for a very very interesting villain. Other standout in the film again, like Tomorrow Never Dies, was David Arnold's score which I thought was absolutely superb. I enjoyed it at least as much as I did his score for Tomorrow Never Dies, even possibly slightly more. Love the music that accompanies the boat chase down the Thames and also very similar music um, arrangement that was also accompanying the ski chase with the Parahawks. Love that music. Loved it on its original release. Still love it now. 
and um, there's just some great uh, pieces throughout the entire film and again he uses the James Bond theme to great effect as well and some lovely arrangements of that throughout the film as well as the title song that was um, performed by Garbage in the film, which is um, a decent song. I mean, it's got lyrics by um, Don Black as well as music by David Arnold, so it's a a nicely put-together song. Um, Not one of my favourite songs of the entire series, to be honest, but um, still a decent um, song. I personally prefer the instrumental versions of the song that are played throughout the film, which are um, very nicely orchestrated. Anyway, enjoyed my rewatch of World Is Not Enough this week. As I mentioned, not quite the same as seeing it in the cinema, but still very enjoyable nevertheless. I'll keep it brief this week and let the people that have seen it on the big screen um, give more of an insight into their experience of it this week. Thanks again to the Really 007 podcast crew for putting out these great podcasts. I hope everyone has a great week. All the best. Hey guys, how you doing? I hope you are well. I also went to watch The World Is Not Enough this week. I went to watch it at the Audion in Manchester. This is actually a film I never saw back in the day at the cinema. I ended up just watching it on video. I was in my early 20s at this point, so just like a lot of uh, people that age, you know, you start to go out quite a lot, you know, going out drinking, trying to pick up women, all that sort of stuff. And uh, so I I think I I wasn't going off Bond films, but after the last two, I was just kind of... I wasn't that, that bothered about the next one. I just thought I would just see what it's like and uh, I wasn't in a dash to kind of watch it. I heard mixed stuff about it and I just thought, no, I wasn't up for watching it in the flicks. It's just kind of okay, this one. It's um, it's never been one of my top ones. I think it's about 20th or 21st in my chart. Not that it's a bad film. There's just a lot of more films uh, from um, Bond films that I like better than this one. So it just kind of sits quite low down, to be honest. Uh, it's a, I, feel, I feel it's a bit of a mixed bag this film uh, i do like the title song i think it's a good song i've been to watch garbage in concert and they are always been a good band i just feel the title song is a little bit bond by numbers at this point it just obviously fits music at that time you know and picking the artists of the time the david arnold score is fantastic i did particularly notice that in the cinema how good the uh, score is for this film i think it's a you know makes you think a lot of the old james bond scores you know it uh, stands up with that stuff easily i think uh, the PTS is good. I think Pierce is as cool as hell at the uh, the start of the film. He definitely hits another notch in this film in terms of cool uh, Bond vibes. You know, he looks good. And uh, I think it's nice that Pierce came into these films a bit later than planned. I think if he had got um, got it in 86 uh, and 87, it, it would have been just a little bit young for the part in, in a way. And uh, I think it's good that he's a bit more weathered. Uh, he obviously still looks uh, good in these films, but um, it's better that he came into these in the 90s, I think. And a lot of people uh, think the same. Uh, in terms of the Bond girl, uh, Sophie Marceau, I think is one of the best of this time, you know, of the 90s. It's a shame they didn't do a similar thing uh, in terms of her being the baddie in uh, Spectre with Monica Bellucci. Even before the film was out, I was saying, wouldn't it be good if the uh, the you know the female lead Bond girl is actually the baddie after all, and uh, it's not, um, and that Christoph Waltz you know wasn't actually the baddie after all, and she's maybe a female Blofeld, and that sounds a bit. Off, uh, off topic, but um, it does make you think, you know, they should have done this again in later films, have the female main actress being the body, you know, such good, and she does it so well, and she's obviously nice, you know, nice looking, and she, she fits well with Pierce, and, uh, you know, you don't notice the age gap that you do with him and, uh, and Christmas Jones, that I think is a bit more obvious there, 
and I don't get the uh, much of a connection between those two, to be honest. Um, I do love Q's last scene in this film. It's obviously bittersweet when you know that it's the last bit that he did before he died, not long after this. I love the interplay he has with Pierce in these films, like all of the Bonds. Is, uh, those, those two particularly are so good in this together. I do like John Cleese, but not needed. They could have just had Desla Welling in this and then just left it there. Obviously, um, with uh, Bobby Carlyle in this, you know, I, I do like him. He's a fantastic actor. He's obviously good in train spotting and all that sort of stuff. And uh, he's good in anything he's in, to be honest. But I think his accent's a bit dodgy and doesn't particularly float my boat in this film, unfortunately. Uh, I do like some of the bits in this film, you know, work quite well. It's good to see the MI6 people in it, like. Uh, uh, Tanner and, uh, and Charles Wilson and, and those guys in it. Ems, Judy Dench is good in this. It's nice to see her out in the field later in the film. And nothing up with her performance in this uh, as ever. You know, it's always good. I think the, the torture scene with Electra is good in Istanbul. I think there's a nice bit of sexual tension there going on behind the scenes. And yeah, it's uh, it's good. Yeah, the, the power of a men thing that she does is, uh, that's that's a good good part. It works well. I don't know what it is with Purvis and Wayne with third acts in films. I just think this is another one where I just get bored towards the end. You think it'd be good with the sub and the platonium, you know, in the sub and all that kind of stuff. No, I just get bored. I switch off in this bit, unfortunately. So I think because of that, this is another film that it's just it could have been better. I just wish it was a bit better, just a bit more care. Obviously, Michael Apted is good at what he does, but you know, there's all kind of things goes goes on behind the scenes, and he just think uh, just a bit of a dip for this one, unfortunately. And unfortunately, that dip does continue and hits a low in the next film, in my opinion. I'm still going to watch Die Another Day for the sake of completion, and uh, just to see if I enjoy it more on the uh, the cinema screen than I do when I'm at home. Because I must admit, Die Another Day, I do get bored with this one. It is at the bottom of my bunch. It's that another day, and it is going to stay there. Unfortunately, um, that's not going to change. Yeah, I'm still looking forward to watching it. Uh, I'm going to go watch it this coming Sunday. But yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, check me out on Twitter. My handle is the Northerner who love me on Twitter. I love being part of the Bond Twitter community, and uh, it's a good bunch of guys and girls on there. Yeah, get involved. Get talking about these films, especially this year with them being in the cinema in the UK. I just hope they take this this out to the uh, the states and, and Canada and other parts of the world for these cinema showings. They've still got time to do it, so get on with it. <laughs> hope they do it. Please do that, Ian. But yeah, thanks for listening, and see you later for Die Another Day next week. Bye. We're on a ride here, we're on a roll, and George from Cinema Savvy is 
halfway through now his expedition of watching all the Pierce Brosnan films at the cinema since they've returned to screens in the UK. Now, he loved Goldeneye, obviously, the first Pierce Brosnan film, and you can hear more about his thoughts and my thoughts and everybody else's in those episodes, which I think was nearly four hours long. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Tomorrow Ever Dies as well. You can hear that as well because uh, that was another one that George had a lot of time for. Maybe not his favourite, but uh, that's that that's also available. That was only three hours, so a very quick listen for those who are just joining the, the podcast. It's, it's, it's progress. I'm, I'm hoping this, this one isn't like 30 minutes, though. I don't want to be the only one. Well, but the thing is, is that we're up to the world is not enough. And we were just saying before, I think this, in some circles, people don't remember this one. In some circles, Tomorrow Never Dies is the one that's forgotten because Goldeneye always gets the most attention for reinvigorating the franchise and for being bloody good. But then you've got Dino the Day, which is notorious in many ways, and therefore it's remembered. Maybe not for the right reasons, but it is remembered. So you've got these two in the middle, which even Pierce Brosnan sort of got mixed up at one stage when in an interview on Everything or Nothing. But that is nowhere near giving the credit it deserves because the world is not enough is what we're talking about today. Over the last couple of years since we've been doing this website, sorry, doing this podcast and everything, the love for it has grown. And I think that's I think that's only going to grow. Maybe not, you know, on a Majesty's levels, maybe not that. But there is so much going on here. And John, I think he put a post up this week because John is the biggest fan, probably. Well, no, Lorenzo and John are the biggest champions for The World Is Not Enough. And he put a post up saying something like, the most ambitious Bond film in 25 years. I think I think there's a lot I think there's a lot to be said in that in terms of what they're doing with this film because I think I said last week we like Run of the Dies because it is by the numbers and you just add the little little new things little twists to the formula and that's that's what I like the most in a Bond film. So here you've got a by the numbers Bond film and some people say that it's too by the numbers but then hang on how do you answer stuff like Electra the character the betrayal you know, and Pierce Brosnan doing much more, I don't know, much more of a character art, really. And there's so much going on when you actually dissect it. And Michael Apted, who directed it, is essentially a character director. He's not a big-budget Hollywood director. And I think it shows, and I think that's probably a strength in it. But, George, please tell us before I go on and on, <laughs> what what was your first experience of The World's Not Enough, then? You know what? I can't remember it, which is the, the sort of the highlight for me that this was my first Bond film. Um, I didn't see it at the cinema. I was three years old when it came out, but oh, I should have got it. It's on the shelf behind me. Um, I had the PS1 game, and I have a lot of memories of that PS1 game. My dad's, and we didn't have a DVD player at the time, but whenever it made its debut on ITV, uh, you know, when in the old days you used to record uh, the, the screen with the VHS yeah. player. So we had a copy of The World Is Not Enough um, on VHS, and it began at the Thames chase sequence. Oh, right. So I grew up with this, obviously, until Die of a Day came out. I didn't know about the scene at the start until many years later when I actually had it, you know. It's not that it's illegal to record ITV, but when you didn't have a DVD, you didn't know about the opening scene. So I knew of it through the game, and this was like my my, ex- my first experience, you know, with Pierce Brosnan and with James Bond, the whole thing. And... Uh, even, you know, we, we have to call it the O2 Arena now, the Millennium Eye, one of the, the opening yeah, yeah. set pieces, one of the most memorable. And, you know, it, it's a pretty special one for me. And seeing it in the cinema the other day, I think I put a tweet out, and I was just saying, like, it, it's a big moment to see this film in the cinema because I was just so excited. Because, again, yeah. it's it's a different environment. 
I don't know if this film's ever had a re-release. I know that it was at the BFI a couple of years ago on some like weekend, but this chance isn't going to come around again no. anytime soon. And I just thought that it was amazing to do so. And kind of going off what John said, we had you both on last year for The World Is Not Enough. And uh, literally, I remember when we first met you, John's like, please, can I come on for What's <laughs> Enough? And I was like, yeah, we'll make it work. I was like, we'll, we'll make sure it, it works. And it's just, um, it's such an exciting film to speak about. Because I'm the kind of same as you that when, it's not like, like Dying of a Day, you know, you hit a point, and it's like the Star Wars prequels I always compare it to. You go on the internet, you discover social media, it's like, wow, people don't like this thing that I absolutely yeah. love. And the world isn't enough. It was just never spoken about. Because there was so much mocking of Dying of a Day from your know, non-Bond fans. So much love for Goldeneye. No one would ever speak about the world is not enough. So it's really interesting to get people's thoughts on it because I, I'm kind of with John a bit. I think, I think it's one of the more, I don't want to say post-modern Bond films. It's certainly shaping the the, the franchise in a direction where, again, in the Craig era, they'll maybe delve into a little bit more. Certainly the M stuff. It's, you've got Judy yeah. Dench. Had she won the Oscar at this point in time? I don't know. Oh, yeah, good point. I think she had. I think it was, ni- was it 98, Shakespeare in Love? Yeah, so it may, may again, I, this is just purely like me speculating out loud, but I wonder if there was a, look at what she's just done in this film, let's try and get her more to do yeah. in the next one. And and certainly now, you know, we have, we have Ralph Fiennes and, and we've had obviously Judy Dench again in the Craig era and it's it's really interesting what this film's gone on to do. And I, I, I'm, I'm with John a lot. I think this is far... Far, maybe 10, 10 years ahead of itself. Nothing extreme is sort of a license to kill, but certainly for this film, I think because people don't speak about it, it sort of lingers in that limbo more than the others. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. When it came out, I think it was that point where Bond was totally on a roll, particularly the Brosnan years, that they were churning them out, everyone was happy, and all they wanted was just a normal James Bond film. That's why John really appreciates what he was doing more than other people, I think, because there was no need to take a risk. There was absolutely no need to, I don't know. But I mean, even I, I remember when I saw it, I was a bit, because I'm such a traditionalist, to see M in, like, the end, right in the storyline. I, I, I loved, the, obviously, her being in the storyline, but being captured and being a bit more personal and being more at stake, and I was like, oh, no, no, I don't I don't want to have to think these things. You know, it's too much for me yeah. to take in at the moment. So that I mean, was a bit jarring, but... Again, over the, they didn't need to do that. They didn't need to do the female villain, but there's been none since. And I know people will say, you know, uh, Rosa Klebb, and fair enough, but she was still a hired hand from Blood Bowl. Henchman, ultimately. Yeah, she is, is it, yeah. She's not the number one. And, and this is what I kind of love with this, that, again, like the, the M stuff, it is interesting. I mean, I don't want to sit here and do a logical thing, but like the head of the Secret Service just going off on a whim to look after her mate's, like, daughter. Obviously, that wouldn't have happened, but... I like that she is more involved, and I think it works for Brosnan that this is one of his... I would say this is probably... I don't want to say his... Oh, is it his best Bond performance? Well, It certainly feels that he's at a point at... I think the the thing with James Bond, I don't know if I mentioned this on Goldeneye, every actor comes on, and there is room for improvement. They haven't... Yeah. I think Craig in Casino Royale has been probably the first one where you could look at that on the spot and think, okay, that's the Bond that will be there whereas I think Connery it took till the second film I think Roger Moore again some of the Bonds take two or three obviously Lazenby didn't get the chance Dalton did it on the second film and I think this is the one for Brosnan where you could see this being his Bond family now um, because he's been great in the two films before 
but I feel with this, there's some. Um, he just gets a bit more to do in sort of a, a personal space, right? That you can tell he actually fell for Electra, which I think's the, which is the yeah. charm of the film. That as, as a villain, I mean, just delving into her as a villain, I think she's the the, the perfect villain for Brosnan's Bonds. Um, yeah. That you could argue that you know is the jack of all trades. That certainly Brosnan's more of the old school seductive one, very nineties. Like when you see him come out in his suit with his tie going down to his trousers, like that, I absolutely love it. But um, it's, I think it's quite trailblazing because I think what I was thinking, I keep pausing, sorry, is that when you have Renard, who is ultimately, I mean, not even the henchman, like when you really like drew it down, Renard genuinely kidnapped kidnapped her. He he didn't, you know, it wasn't her scheme for him to kidnap her. He he kidnapped her for a ransom, and she turned it to her advantage turned him into liking her and set up this insane incredible plan that yeah. probably took place over maybe a, was it like a couple of years or a couple of months or something and and actually I think that's the genius of this film is that a lot of people do criticise Renard and, and there, there are certainly things to criticise but he sort of falls under the the, the, the Bane umbrella from Dark Knight Rises of yes, the he, well, he was number two Mm. And there's so much to talk about here, but that I haven't I haven't inspected to talk about. I don't know whether we did or not. I mean, we did an endless review, and we've done a Michael Apted tribute about the film. But certainly, there's so many ideas that have been taken into other films, not just Bond films. So we've mentioned, obviously, Betrayal of Electra. In terms of that, that does seem very Dark Knight Rises, doesn't it? And the audience are presuming Bane is the main baddie. And they're not so sure. Okay, they're not so sure about her, but eventually, of course, it turns out it is... She's the one who's been training Bane this whole time and sort of been his mentor and making him do all these things. So, but the the other one, of course, is the well, the, the involvement of M because it starts off, doesn't it? Attack on MI6, personal attack. Yeah. M is targeted, and she's involved in the plot, and she wants to trust Bond, and she also has other people to trust, and she has to decide who she eventually falls on the side of. The whole plot. I mean, Elektra is more angry at M, of course, isn't she, than she is at Bond, by the end of it, certainly. With Skyfall, I mean, Skyfall, we, we did endless comparisons with them. They are very similar. There's an attack on MI6. It's an attack on MI6 agents, specifically, and M. M is the main person. Bond is incidental, really, isn't he? Because I think we discussed that in The GoldenEye, that Silver and Trevelyan are similar, because obviously they're ex-agents, but... Trevelyan is never he he's always found Bond, you know, it's part it's so much more personal than Silver. He's not as bothered about Bond, he's bothered about M. And I think it it, it did start that run and it maybe it is perfect in some way because it is their first film. And I know you've you've chatted about them, haven't you, on the A to Z podcast, uh, George, recently. Yeah, it is interesting with them because they're a fascinating Jew that I think when you're younger, certainly for my age, you don't realise about the behind the scenes and, and the carryover and when you sort of think about their sort of twenty years spell on the the franchise, I mean, it, it's not like they've it's not like Marvel where they've said, "Listen, you're going to do every film for the next twenty years." It's yeah. when you see them in interviews, they've actually spoke, haven't they? Like, there's been times where they weren't. I mean, obviously, No Time Size, the most recent one, that wasn't ever meant to be their film. That was the Daniel Boyle one with his own team, and that obviously did that went that didn't work out, and they were brought on. Yeah. And they're an interesting duo, and I think for them to come on board. Again, 99, you've got, I guess, the turn of the century where I was too young to remember it at the time. But obviously, socially, that was massive, the whole y- Y2K. They even have jokes about the y two a Y2K bug, don't they, in this as well? And yeah, on the trailer, really, did that. 
<laughs> Did they? <laughs> it was like a countdown to the millennium. Because that was on people's minds at the time. And they have, you know, you have, yeah. to, you have to put it in the moment. And I know younger people will won't have a clue what that was. It was there. the ev- everything was going to reset in the year 2000, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? And yeah. It, it was it's understandable. Conspiracy theory thing, you know, it wasn't really. A, but you know, we, we get them today. Come on, if it happened today, it'd be even yeah. worse because we'd have social media oh, people. It and it, it is interesting that it does sort of critique that. And what I actually want to say about Renard, because I think massively contextually, the one thing the Bond franchise has always done is cast their villains well. And you've got to think, on, on paper, when they, you know, you've just had the four Monty, you've had train spotting, and when they bring in, oh my god, how on earth have I forgotten his name? Uh, that is terrible. Um, <laughs> that is awful. Um, give me a couple of seconds, I'm just scanning. Oh dear me, that's really I'm embarrassing. Oh, the who plays Renard the actor? Robert Carlyle, of course it is. Oh, right. um, on, <laughs> on paper, for late 90s, this guy is going to be a Bond villain. Yeah. You're there, like, 100%. Like, that's one of the most like obvious castings you could have. British actor, paid an absolute psycho in train spotting. You've just had, you know, some of his train spotting colleagues going off to do big things. You've got you and going into Star Wars and other stuff. This whole new British wave. And it's like, this is a villain that he can't feel pain. He's got no senses. And on paper, the concept of Renard is actually one of the, the best potential Bond villains. And I don't mind the fact yeah. he's number two to Electra. I just feel they underuse him. That you get that great opening scene of yeah. this Golding Rock, and then it's like occasionally gets shot at arm, looks awkwardly for a second. And how yeah. do you feel with him? Because I, I, as I, when I'm younger, I didn't notice it, but as I'm older, I'm like, wow, like okay, I feel he maybe wasted a strong turn, but I feel like he he deserved a bit better, the actor maybe, or or at least he could have done with another set piece or two. I I'm with you in the I. Growing up, I thought, yes, the thing is, is they've bigged him up so much that it can only disappoint because it, it's an amazing setup, isn't it? And I know, I think John, someone in his family, actually <laughs> helped do the visual effects for the, you know, the skull and the oh, the, the hologram hol- thing, yeah, which is brilliant. I mean, it's totally unnecessary. You know, there's no need to show that, but it's it's a great visual gag for the audience. The thing I've realised over the years is that the whole point that he's built up is partly. Well, mainly to throw you off the scent that Electra is the lovely innocent one in all this, yeah. the main baddie. So it's very difficult for them to do both. If they'd have done him, I think it's maybe the casting. The, the casting is arguable. If you'd have had a much bigger guy, you know, physically bigger, taller, because obviously we know he's hard as nails, you know, in train spotting. There's no way you'd have a fight with him, you wouldn't mess with him. But when you see him come up to face to face with Pierce, he just still looks a bit small and. You'd think Pierce could probably have it, wouldn't you? So I think that's that's my main criticism. I think the idea of the character is terrific, and of course Robert Carlyle's a really good actor. I don't know. Do you buy do you buy the relationship between Renard and Electra, or do you? Because it, it does look like he's manipulated, being manipulated by her by the end, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, she's manipulated him so well that you don't. I mean, I know it's Stockholm syndrome. They speak of yes. You can tell at no point that she ever cares for him. And it's really, yeah, it makes him look like a bit of a mug. But obviously she says that, doesn't she, to Bond, that she can have any person she wants yeah, yeah. anywhere. She's done it her entire life. And that's what's quite charming. And also, you know, it's a James Bond film, so we're not going to need to spend time with them. I guess yeah. it's more of the safe from his performance that it's believable because she sells it. She sells that she can. She really and we've, does, doesn't she? And we've seen I mean, her do it to Bond as well. She's yeah. great in it. Honestly, I've, she's always been one of my favourite, like, Bond. I mean, as a kid, it's a Bond girl. You grow up and you're, as a kid, it's actually a proper villain. But um, yeah. there's something about her which I think just stands out, and it's not just because she's a woman, that 
she's actually got a pretty good plan that I mean I know it's Bond to save the day but in terms of villain plans this is a proper one like this is a good one and, and actually it's it's almost achievable there was criticism I remember at the time a bit that we used to love it when Blofeld or the baddie their plan was to destroy the world or take over the world you know a bit like the the Moonraker and Spy Love Me you know submerge it by water or blow it all up and go into space this is obviously a bit more realistic but that's I, I like the the fact that you can have both because Tomorrow Never Dies we discussed it's such a good scheme it's a really good plot this is totally different you know it's and I know I think Michael G. Wilson was the one who looked into all the stuff with the oil and, th- and that as a storyline and he'd been had that brewing for a number of years and I think it works really well and yeah. it takes new locations too uh, Barbara have- Broccoli did she yeah. say what she was like watching a documentary was oh, it around the time yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah. but then after that they were hooked on this concept of oil yeah. and then they obviously came together and did it. I find it fascinating that again we spoke really well at Tomorrow Never Dies that it's sort of 20, 30 years ahead of itself yeah. the oil stuff I mean we're, we're both into football I don't want to bore people with football stuff but the well, the, the, the oil oligarchies have yeah, massively yeah. you know infiltrated when I say football I mean it's a public eye that everyone hears about these countries and individuals because of the power of oil and for Electra King her goal is not to take over the world it's just to have the biggest oil supply and quite poetically it's to repair her family's name in that her yeah. dad married into a wealthy family and she just wants the her mother's side to, to be at the limelight it's a real fascinating insight into I think quite I don't think oil's current but certainly the public eye would you would you say that the knowledge of oil in the world that's such a random question isn't it like let's talk about bond no let's talk about the knowledge of oil in the public domain is that changed over the years for you too with football yeah i mean i don't you know i don't know how much i can say here but certainly as a football fan and one who i don't support a premiership team obviously i'm a berry fan but i i can then have a bit of dispassion and look at it you know maybe without that one-eyed that one-eyed nature that often football fans do and yeah oil self-interest and you know, we, we talk about sport washing, don't, don't we now? You know, yeah. we've got the golf tournament. We've just had the Anthony Joshua, the Yuzik 2 fight in Jeddah, which has nothing to do with either of them, you know. Certainly there. The, 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 the mat, they had to clean the mat because it con- it, because of all the condensation, because of the heat in the room. Yeah. Like, well, if, they yeah. can't box on the mat. They shouldn't box there at all, should they? But Well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and the Qatar World Cup, which we'll have shortly. And, and we've got the premiership teams as well, obviously, that are built on, on that money. And, you know, you could, you could say, well, why is that any, any worse than any other thing? You know, we've got Stoke had one have got one of the most, you know, good How guy chairs And that's all built on gambling, isn't it? You know, and what, who are we to judge which one's right and which one's wrong? But certainly, I think, since all this, since the film, this has become much more of an issue. Oil, everyone instantly knows, oh, right, well, that's obviously one of the most precious commodities in the world and it's running out so it is a good it is a good plot point but in order to sell it as a bond film you've got to do more with it than that and that's why it works because it is personal it isn't like you said it's more about power and her name you know she does that lie isn't there it, it is my oil it, yeah. was it, it runs thicker than water and all. yeah because the it's like thicker than blood and then obviously the animated title blood, I'm like, oh yeah. yeah like it's all it's all blood turning into oil at the start and i was like they're, yeah. they're very ahead of themselves there and even the song, I mean, I when I was younger, I think I said Paul, I wasn't, and I'll say this, you've seen this at the cinema, I yeah. did not like the theme. It feels different to how it, the actual single is. I know that some Bond films have had that before. 
Yeah. But it played different. Obviously, I know they cut it shorter as well, but something about the sound felt off. And it wasn't, you know, the, the entire show. It was just the, the title. I don't know if there's a different orchestral cue or something, but something felt weird. And obviously, I love the theme now. When I found out, I don't know how many years ago it was that you know, the, the song is written as the point of view of Electra. That's oh, yeah. genius. I mean, you've got to think, like, if you didn't know she's already going to be the villain, and no one would know this upon a first viewing, and this yeah. is before people would read every line of every bit of dialogue before a film's out, they've just put it in your face that she's the villain. Yeah. Like, it, it's not even... You, know, you look back, it's like, oh, wow, this song's great because they're literally talking to you about her plan. And it's just... It, I, also, I love it by Garbage as well and, and David Arnold. But- it was a twist, and I'm telling you at the time, and and so was Sean Bean. They were both twists. And now it would be, I'm sure, I think social media and everything can ruin things, but you've seen with the Bond, you know, with the No Time to Die, they're actually very good when it comes down to it, at not trying to ruin it for everybody else. Because the community knows that, especially with No Time to Die, I've been waiting so long for this. And there were rumours going around it, you know, will he die and... I don't know anything else, and that has he got? Has he got a son, a daughter? That <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not saying I agree with all the choices they made, but I'm so glad that. Okay, yes, there were rumours there, and there were things you saw in the public domain. With it was mainly, wasn't it, like tabloids taking pictures? Yeah, scenes which is That's... annoying. You know? I didn't see a lot of that at the time, which I'm glad of, because it just you know it ruins it. And if they'd have done that with Electra, if going in you'd known that, it wouldn't have had as big an impact I don't think no I'm with you on that and I think what's fascinating with the spoiler culture we live in now you've got that the Marvel that all their fan teams do is they just want to fight take photos and share everything as quick as yeah. they can because they want yeah. the likes whereas No Time to Die I remember we had it what end of September was it America October and like yeah. Australia like yeah. November and there was nothing there was nothing on Twitter no one would speak about it and say credit like film fans weren't saying stuff and it is interesting you bring up the tabloids because I found this fascinating obviously you know being like following film is you only ever hear the UK tabloids talking about Bond like they don't yeah. care about anything else like they know obviously they'll get traction with Bond British production British you know heritage all that sort of stuff but I just find it amazing that even the spoilers and maybe there's there's a really good conversation as well to be had that when they obviously Daniel Boyle left they'd obviously leaked that oh we've got rid of him because he wanted to kill James Bond and obviously at that yeah. point everyone's like oh no he's not going to die then is he which is really one of the really... greatest twists they yeah. did was letting that become almost yeah. public knowledge that they sacked him for wanting to kill him because I it does make me think that had had that not have happened I know I would have entered that film I, I, too far I did enter the film thinking he'd die uh, spoiler alert yeah. and you know it, it just made me think, think this is more the, the ending of Spectre you can't have him go off in the sunset because he did it once and we're back again and there's, there's yeah. nothing left for him to do and but again, because they had made the point of saying Daniel Boyle was going to kill him, we won't let him do it, that protected the spoiler, which, again, credit to Eon, and they didn't put it in a trailer. They didn't put the daughter in a trailer. The marketing campaign, they absolutely nailed it. I know that's not to do with the world's not enough, but I- I'd imagine it would be the same with this, is that... Oh, and also, I'd imagine all, all the marketing would have been on... Uh, well, I always forget her name, Actress of Christmas Jones... Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, because she's like the '90s A-lister. Like that's massive. Yeah, to have she was a popular FHM sort of. There was a few, a few things that she was in, and she was more, she was more like a yeah, like a pinup almost, rather yeah. than an actress. And that again, it, it is sexist. That's why I think a lot of people immediately discount her as a as the character. They're like, how can she be, you know, a nuclear physicist? And fair, fair enough. Maybe yeah, she wasn't <laughs> up to it. But just because she's fit or whatever and wears those clothes I, is, I don't is think sexy. it's her fault as well 
I think, no, no, it isn't. I think the problem we have is you've got one of the most like groundbreaking new characters in Electra. Yeah. Uh, and again, you've got an, an established French actress. I know Safe Marcel is not a French cinema. She'd been in the Mal- yeah. Braveheart. Was she in Braveheart? Oh, yeah. So. I mean, that's one of my favourite films ever. And again, in that, she's utterly... I mean, she's she's the, the, one of the, the... You'd cast her if you want to fall in love with her. If the audience wants to be intrigued by her and fall in love with her, you know, with her sort of mystery and beauty, I think she's absolutely perfect. And it's the same in this. It's, it's exactly the same in this. It's like a, a woman that you could believe Bond might be turned by, you know, and he, he, yeah. we've only had it before then, haven't we, really, with Tracy. So you've re- you've really got to get it, the, the casting, absolutely right. 30 years later, 30 years yeah. later as well, well, well. There's so many links with that as well, aren't there? We know that. Yeah, and it, it does make me interested that maybe the reason why, I think for a start they've sort of killed it by calling it Christmas. Yeah, yeah. That's, absolutely. again, that's not her, that's not Denise Richards' fault, well, no. like, that's just... It's done for a joke, isn't it? And it's like, yeah. I, it came out, did it come out in November, the film of, of 99? So it's, yeah, I'd imagine I, it I, would have been in the cinemas for the end of the year, Christmas jokes. Yeah. Just for the Yeah, and it's, and the, the thing that made me, and I, again, because I, I, I don't like dissing Bond stuff, I try and look at the stuff I really enjoy. What really caught me off guard this time is when, like, when they capture her and Bond at the end, you know, before the great torture chair, and um, yeah. they're like, oh, go give her to Renard. I was like, well, what does Renard need to do with her? Like, yeah, yeah. As in, as in, because again, this this is a writing thing. This isn't really a criticism, but it's like because they want to keep her in the film because she's the the advertised Bond girl. Yeah. They need her in the finale, and what I also wonder is because obviously, mighty was you would put Dean's rituals all over it. They're probably not at a point where they want to kill off a Bond girl. Um, no, especially no. in the nineties, Brosnan they never you know really did it. Which is understandable. Bar obviously you've had Paris in the last film, so you wouldn't bring someone else in to kill straight away again. Yeah. And I think the main thing, and I think I've said this before, is that we probably said it in the review, didn't we? That we did together. It because the the main thing of the thrust of the film is Electra and her betrayal and the guessing game of what, what she's up to. You can't it a bond but still at that time they wouldn't want to alienate the audience by it just ending with him killing Electra and then there being no positive. So they had to add in a, an additional Bond girl to counter that. Yeah, it's un, it's a bit. I mean, maybe Young Live Twice is a good example of the main Bond girl that you th- you always think of. For me, I do is Aki because I think her chemistry with Connery is brilliant. But yeah. because she dies halfway through, they've got to have a new Bond girl in. As good as she is, she can't quite live up to the the, the Aki, you know, Kissy Suzuki. And with this, she the way they can sort of get away with it is they need the the character of a nuclear physicist, don't they, to sort of let the plot go along. Having a lady do that, you know, all that's plus points. No one for a minute is going to buy. They've got to, they've got to deal with that. No one's going to buy that this Bond prefers Denise Richards to Sophie Marceau, do they? Because he's in, he's almost in love with Electra. So this is more like a, all oh, right. At the end of the day, I might as well go and get in bed with you at the end of the mission. Really, isn't it? I don't. We're not. We're not. Yeah. In, it's Christmas, isn't it? He, he wants. Yeah. You know, it, it's, well, no, it was, it was near a New Year. I can't remember, but yeah. it is there for the for the for you know. And also, it goes very old school with the oh, let, let's all be on the monitor watching Bond. What's Bond up yeah. to? That's very That's, Roger Moore era, isn't it? That's, very Roger Moore. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I again, you can understand why they they would do that. And what also makes me think that with it being the last Bond film of the century, there's probably a lot of... It sounds really silly, but there's probably just tons of nostalgia because they would have known the next Bond film's in the next century. 
I know that yeah. sounds really yeah. bonkers, but again, the whole Y two the whole Y two K stuff. Do you understand why it's a bit? I don't even want to say traditional, but there's traditional elements with they they want to break new ground without breaking ground too far and. It does make me think because of how License to Kill performed, you know, it didn't perform yeah, well. Yeah. They also don't want to think we can't get too risky. We need to do something but keep maintaining it. And again, I just think it's it's them trying to look ahead. It's not their fault, but it, it they're not ready. The audience, the general audience just isn't ready for the next era of Bond. Obviously, they would no, be in 2006. No. And I think Dine of a Day kind of... Because in Dine of a Day, they go back to traditional, way more traditional Bond formula. And that's the one that's derided and people don't speak about. And obviously, they got a new Bond after. So it's really... Yeah. I, I, I've never read it. I, I know that one, there's like a Tashin book on, on the Bond series. But I'd love to see like some behind-the-scenes stuff on that. The whole yeah, Brosnan yeah. era. I feel there's an entire behind-the-scenes that we've never heard about as the public for the Brosnan era. Because it, it just feels like they're pushing the franchise forwards, but treading carefully. And I just love yeah, to know more. Between the two, don't you? And at the time, it worked. I mean, it was really popular. But retrospectively, because the Craig films are getting loads of credit, quite rightly in some ways, for really going one direction and sticking with it, the personal thing. And then if you go back to, oh, we all love the traditional ones where there was no personal consequences, these particularly, well, there's not enough, he's caught between the two. And therefore, it's people see it as nothing. It doesn't work, you know. If it doesn't work one way, it doesn't work the other way, and it gets, it, you know, it gets punished for trying to please too many people and trying to break new ground and trying to please the, the purists and the, the ones who just to be entertained. I mean, that's something it gets criticised for often is that the action's a bit dull and you know the cinematography and it. I've seen people say it looks like a TV movie, and I've, I'm, nah, I must be watching the film. I, Australian opening, the opening scene, and they'll be like, "What TV movie?" No, I think that looks great. Is it? I think it looks wonderful. It, it just feels like an easy insult, doesn't it? Because it's like late nineties, and it's more yeah, yeah. because there's more drama bits than just constant action. You know, it's not it's not ever delving too far. And I think the action's pretty phenomenal. I think because you start so well with that pre-title sequence. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If I'm being blunt, it's pretty hard for any of the film to come close to it. Yes, I, don't, I, I quite like the, the, the nuclear scene at the start with the, not the start, sorry, in the middle, you know, when he's, he's dressed yeah. up in character. All that stuff works great. Maybe the submarines for the end just isn't that fulfilling because it's a very weird, slow fight. It is amusing, it's a good idea, I think, the claustrophobic elements of it, but perhaps yeah. it's just not quite executed. As and well I think because they've started off so well with the Thames chase. And you've got yeah. to think, because on 99, 
oh look, here's that Millennium Dome that's been built for years. That yeah, would have been yeah, yeah. massive to have it seen was. that in a Bond film. And again, for me, like growing up, that was like, oh, it's the one there. And I remember the first ever time I went to the uh, like even like Greenwich would have been like ten years ago. I was like, oh my god, it's the scene from James Bond. And when I only went to the O2 for the first time, like. Maybe yeah. four or five years ago and I was living in London and I went to the Cineworld there and I was like whoa like it feels really weird when the inside of a James Bond location obviously it's not and it's functional but it was just like for me that building is attached to Bond even I saw Hans Zimmer there this year and he did the Bond theme I was like this is pretty spectacular obviously he didn't do it in 99 but there's, there's just so much happening it's just amazing yeah I mean I it's quite sad really I was, I've never been to the O2 obviously I've seen it from afar but the thing I was going to watch there was the final Michael Jackson This Is It concerts, and I had all the tickets. Oh, really? Yeah, it was absolutely devastating. So two of my favourite things, Michael Jackson and Bond combining. <laughs> yeah. That would have been amazing. But, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get it. And I, th- I think some people have what? I think, was it Alice Dryden? I was I was you very jealous. They yeah, it's, in the O2, is it? This, the Cineworld in the O2 is one of the 12 Cineworlds in the country showing them. And right, it was on yeah. the Monday. Do you know what? It's such a shame. It's the money. Because if you were the Cineworld programmer, why wouldn't you put that on the weekend? You're literally showing a Bond film oh, at a key location from Bond. Put that on for the entire weekend. I would have gone down. If that was at the cinema to go down yeah. a weekend, I'd have had an absolute blast. Why a Monday night? thing, wouldn't it? You know, it's, it yeah, but just, more of it. Just a Monday night. It's just so. Re- I mean, I don't want to get into a rant about how Cineworld's handled well, the. Um, yeah, that that I mean, yeah, you've got that on the news, but yeah, yeah. just them handling the bond stuff's probably not the best time. But I've just been tweeting non-stop all year about it because it's just bonkers. But it's, I'm very jealous though. Anyone that watched that, I'm very jealous. Like, it just would have been cool to watch it in the building. Like, I don't know, I don't yeah, know what yeah, more you can yeah. say, can you? Like, you're watching James no, Bond in no, the O2 it's Arena. It's not difficult, is it? You could leave after the pre-title sequence because that's it yeah. now. You might <laughs> get Pierce Brosnan falling outside. Oh. <laughs> Well, I, I am, you know, I am going to watch it again this week because I've I've not watched it since we did the review. In fact, so I'm a bit. I quite like that though because I've, I think about it a lot in between, and especially since sort of it's got more love. I'm looking forward to watching it again. I it, I did see it at the cinema at the time, so Goldeneye was the first one I truly remember watching, and then Tomorrow Never Dies, and then The World Is Not Enough was really. I think I was in. I think I was in lower six, and this is how old I was. But it was really when we'd found loads of mates at school who were also into Bond. And we all went together. We'd all ha- had a lot of hype for it. And it maybe didn't quite live up to all the hype we wanted. Yeah. Because Dine of the Day was a bit of a letdown in many ways, particularly the end and the, you know, the second half. You look back on The World Is Not Enough with fondness now. And I think it, is a, it was a time where, like we say, you could try and please everyone. And it is an audience pleaser. You know, it, it, it isn't it isn't okay. It isn't a Sunday afternoon Bond film because there's too much going on in terms of the story. But there's enough there's enough action scenes. There's a caviar factory action scene as well, isn't there? Yeah. Which is ah, well, yeah, I, people say it looks too much like the soundstage or whatever. But it's a great uh, set. Goldie. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know who Goldie was. Whenever I watched my dad, he always laughs. I'm like, I don't know who this bloke is. Apparently, he's yeah, like a rapper know. from the nineties. Yeah. And I'm there like. Okay, but he's in James Bond film and he's like a great cowardly villain. Like that's what you like, yeah. right? He's yeah. just he's stupid. And even his death scene is sort of wonderful in its own right. He was he goes, uh, <laughs> so glad to see and Hagrid. I mean, Robert, sorry, not Hagrid. Robert yeah. Coltrane. It's just superb, what a. Le- I mean, how often do we get allies come back in multiple films and see them actually die? 
that's something yeah, we've not yeah. really had. It, and it even his death's great because Electra's just too dumb to read the room and she goes, wow, he really yeah. hated you. Do you know what? If, he, if there was one, I'd love to have had him in more. I know he couldn't have because he's dead. Yeah, right? yeah. But I just love a returning character. M- Mathis kind of, like you have like an yeah, ally yeah. that pops up every now and then, but someone that's not Felix Leiter that's great. Uh, and Robbie Coltrane is just amazing in this. He is. He's w- Wade. I love Wade uh, and he's, he's funny and everything. But, you know, Zukowski's on another level, isn't he? I think because he's, even though you know he's large in life, you can you can picture him doing these dodgy sort of schemes. You know, it's great that he's moved on to this sort of. He's gone up in the world a bit, hasn't he? He's no longer in this dingy sort of karaoke bar. He's in this amazing casino, and he's doing it better. He's got that amazing tux on, and yeah, he, he looks great, doesn't he? I love his goatee in this, and yeah. I love he's like oh, I've gone from bar bar to casino. Like we've seen yeah, his yeah. eyes over the years, and it's just. It's what you want. It's like world building. And I know it's Bond yes, doesn't really yeah. do that, but it just adds a bit of gravitas to, to the Brosnan era. It makes it feel like an era, not like he's just it been does, And that there are people beyond Bond. You know, there, there are things going on in the world. You know, the, it, it has got a bit small, the last few films, where like I, I, I would have preferred at the end of No Time to Die, I think I've said it, I've said this before, but, you know, in the control room, it's just it's just the main characters, and it? it's just M and Q and short. Even like oh, Quantum was Spectre all along. Yeah. It just makes it smaller and I, I get why and guards and officials and you know yeah. roles and things like that, just to make it a bit more bit the step up the stakes a bit more. But anyway, we don't. I mean, we suppose we don't really get that as much in Worlds Not Enough because it does go very personal, and it is at the end in the tower. You've just got M. You've got Bond. You've got Christmas Jones in the background somewhere. <laughs> You've got Zukowski yeah. and the Electra, and even, I suppose even uh, Renard isn't there, is he? Then, and that's the thing. That's the thing that we, we've mentioned with Stamper. You know, I like it when the main baddie is killed, and then oh no, we've got to finish off the henchman, and they do it again here. Maybe not the best fight, but it's got a nice. You know, it's got the whole weird suction stick out pipe thing. It yeah. didn't really get it for a couple of years, but. It, <laughs> It's a weird, it's a weird death. Yeah, I, I, I love Electra's death. I think it's a great way for her character to end as well with it because she's just, you know, she's been the villain and she gets killed in cold blood. And yeah. whereas obviously earlier tells Bond that he can't kill people in cold blood, so it just works out great. If I'm being honest, works again, for Brosnan. You would still, you'd still get shocked. You'd think, well, Brosnan's like a really likable Bond. Th- these are sort of Bond films for everybody. And he's just killed. He's killed the woman in cold blood at the end. Who, yes, we know she's pretty evil, but. We also feel that somehow there is some good in her and that she's completely lost it just to kill her like that. But that again, it, it shows that Bond, he puts the mission and his country above everything else. And, and of yeah. course, he emcees her grieving him, which is again really effective. I know it's very Brosnan, the, the, the cradling the corpse Brosnan, but it, it means something in this and I buy it I do buy their relationship and he's torn all the way through yeah and, and Emma as well was just funny in that whole sequence that she can't you know and she, she she sort of goes there she's screaming Bond through the locked door um, oh, but yeah. I think what sort of works with it though is I think because Electra's tied in with M, who's tied in with Bond we know that M likes Bond but you never feel like they've got a personal connection with each other that right. is until this film and I think after that point Again, we don't really get much of them dying of a day, but does that work as benefit that had had there been more than dying of a day, do we think like say there'd been a film at 04 and then they're recast, I don't think we'd have got Jude Dench back. I think because there was only oh, Dine of a Day, 
And then I think, okay, now we'll bring her back. Because dying of the day, you're right, after you've had all this amazing relationship and she's been saved by him, she probably respects him even more. Dying of the day starts with, you know, her basically selling him to North Korea and it completely goes the other way, which some people are a bit, oh, that's not great, is it? You know, but I I think that's a good point. I think if there was an 04 film, then... hmm. It would be game, though. Probably, yeah, I don't know. It's something. Would it? Because it, it, you've gone. Would have been too have close. Gone, yeah, it couldn't have gone more silly than Dine of the Day. And if it had gone back a step, then it might be seen as unambitious. So I don't know. As much as I would have loved Pierce to return, I think it may be. But it's, the, it's, the, it's like we say, we'd rather License to Kill be Dalton's last film with a couple more in between. You know, and you'd rather there be a couple of films in between. Quantum and Skyfall for the very same reason because it's but that's another thing just before we go I think we uh, uh, it's a bit of a cliche now isn't it but people often say that the third Bond is their best performance so Goldfinger for Sean Spy Who Loved Me or the, or the best film or the, the time that yeah. they realised the filmmakers realised were building a film around the, the actor's personality Skyfall is obviously the one for Daniel Craig so Will is not enough. I think it can enter. It can enter that conversation because I do think it's it's the most acting, in inverted commas, that Pierce has to do, isn't it? By a mile, I think, in his four films. Yeah, it, it's the most personal to... I know that Goldeneye, obviously, you've got... you know, And this is actually a really good question. Obviously, Goldeneye works for it being his first film, but had Goldeneye been his third film, and it's the exact same film, we get a, a pre-title sequence seven yeah. years in the past, we'd have had a more mature Brosnan with Sean Bean... I'm not saying it's set in Einstein because I don't want to get into the whole Lord of the Rings thing, but if you'd have had Brosnan with a little bit more experience up against Sean Bean, I think that could have been even better. Because yeah. Brosnan's good in it, but there's just something... He's not fully there yet. Like, he's like 90% there, but that extra 10% makes such a difference. Yeah. And again, you know, it's their first time playing the character and he just didn't really get a chance. Yeah. It's a shame in many ways, but I think he does pack a lot into his four films and will... We'll save the Die Another Day chat, hopefully, next week. I, I'm hoping to see it. In fact, the, the three that I've missed so far have been those ones. The third, Goldfinger, Spy, Love Me, and now World Is Not Enough. So, so that's, uh, that's a big gutting, hey, to be honest. Well, you've got the whole Craig here. I'm sure you'll enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've already seen them at the cinema, yeah. I, it will be interesting when we get to that, because will it be just people wanting to see them again, or will people be like, well, I only saw them a couple of years ago. I don't know. Well, I, I, I'm very curious. I think Casino will get a big bounce because yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's it, you know, it's oh, this sounds really bad. It's old enough to not be recent, and I, they didn't actually re-release them last year, which is odd. I thought they should have re-released all the Craig films, but they never did. So I yeah. wonder if you'll get a massive turnout for Casino and maybe a chunk for Skyfall. If I'm being blunt, no time to die. I'm sure there'll be people there. But I don't think you'll get as many in comparison to the others just because it's so new. It's the most recent one. It's yeah. a year ago. So I understand if not everyone goes. It's left a bitter taste. I think the longer it's gone on, the, word, the initial reaction was very divided. But a lot of people were saying, you know, how amazing it was. But I think it's gone, as, it's, as, time, gone, as time has gone by, with some people, they've said, yes, it's still a masterpiece or whatever. But with others, they've thought, hang on, 60 years of Bond and he's dead and... Is this the, is this really the film we want to end with? Is our celebration? <laughs> I, I know you can view it different ways, of course, but it, I it, it's it. interesting. I, I think because we're getting this big Bond weekend thing, 
it's maybe worked in their favour that 40th anniversary, Dine of a Day, 50th Skyfall, yeah. because there's no film out, and we don't, there's not one, I mean, there is one in production, obviously, but not formally announced in production. Yeah. We're in We're in this sort of no man's land of, we can just celebrate everything that's come before, before we move forwards. Yeah. And you are right, it's going to be interesting that you get to it, it's like, ba-boom, dead, let's get ready for the next one. But at the same time, it, I feel like it's worked in Eon's favour, and obviously with the big merger, I, also, I mean, there's been, not to sort of go into film stuff, but obviously a really good film's come out called 13 Lives, which was MGM. That was meant to be put forward on award season, and Amazon's like, no, no, this is going online now, and they've released yeah. it randomly in August. And apparently it tested really high, and obviously MGM said that Amazon's committed to cinema releases for Bond. But it, it makes me think there's still probably a lot of stuff happening with this merger that we will never know about. I'm sure there's a lot of producers behind the scenes stuff going on. And I do think, I don't know if I said this last week, but when, when the next one begins, I think we'll still have Barbara Broccoli. And I think Michael G. Wilson will almost take the backseat Cubby did in yes. GoldenEye. That he'll be involved, but it probably will be primarily Barbara. And what I'm really curious about is do we get a new producer that will long-term oversee i know that barbara has a daughter but i think barbara's daughter's background's theater uh, which is quite right, a big yeah, jump to cinema um but also you know barbara had always been involved in bond before she got goldeneye so that was always going to happen and it does make me very curious to see what the plan is but again at the moment of the merger there might not be a plan because they legally just might not have anything yet so no. it's like going to be interesting idea. i like the idea you said i think it was last week that You'd settle for a long gap if yeah. then they've got it done for like 10 years or whatever and, you know, there will yeah, be it, a five-film contract or something like that with whoever it is. Because I think modern-day filmmaking, a, a two-year gap for a big film is just impossible. Uh, to, to And I think what I love about some of the Bond films, even these and Tomorrow Night they're so contextual to, like, not just the, oh, it's the 90s, but oil, this is something that's yeah, happening. Yeah. The, the news if they can get into that, look at what's happening in the... That sounds really weird, say, in the 20s. Um, but yeah. You know, yeah. I'm excited to see what they do. And I do think they're, they're looking at it. And I said, I think they're just keeping it very quiet. I know they did that... Uh, they got the dinner, didn't they? The BFI patron stuff. Yes. And I know that they just... They said, like, a, a one sentence. But I'd imagine there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes that... Oh, yeah. I think we can't take that for granted. You know, the two years is a throwaway, isn't it? It's not set in stone. That could be sped up, I'm sure, if things happen, like you say, with MGM and all that. And Amazon. And, and, and now Amazon, yeah. you know, we know they're not short of money. They've no. just spent, they're spending $4 billion on Lord of the Rings for five seasons. So I, I think the, the blank check will be written for them to do what they want. It will just be, okay, what, what's going to happen next? Is it going to be the Bond first, the director first, the writers? It's, it's quite exciting. It's like an exciting unknown, but I think... By releasing all of these again at the cinema, certainly for like, I mean, again, I've only watched the Brosnan ones. It's been like a, a way to give them time, like let the people celebrate. Have you noticed they're not, although there is a lot of terrible, there's a lot of terrible merchandise in the WSM store, it's not like a Star Wars anniversary where, like, here's a hat, here's a tea towel, here's everything possible with Star Wars yeah, like, yeah. written on it. Whereas Bond's been like, you know, it's it's very relaxed and. I know they're pushing out all those awful steelbooks now to make room for the 4Ks whenever they're going to be. But it does make me think that potentially at this concert in October, I feel that there's going to be an announcement of some kind there. I'm not saying it'll be a Bond, yeah. I'm not saying it'll be a director, but we that's like the main event. Yeah, because like, the, the, the No Time to Die is the Sunday before, right? 
which is yes. that you've got the BFI weekend, no time to die, and then we've got this concert on the Tuesday, and it just makes me think that if you if you were the producers, and I know this is really like this is nothing to was um, so sorry, but if you were Barbara Broccoli, obviously the Daniel Craig launch went wrong because they yeah, yeah he was filming he was filming something else wasn't he he was filming something he had long hair. They had the the Thames boat thing, and for legal, obviously for safety, he had to wear a vest, so he didn't look like Bond. And I understand the logic of that announcement, and they know. I think Daniel Craig said they know that that just didn't work. Whereas now, if they wanted to announce something, you've got the Royal Albert Hall, you've got five thousand Bond fans, you've got a concert for the anniversary. Mm. If you want a main event, by all means, do it then. And I think you're in the time and the place, and for the people there, oh, are fans. Good. You're not going to have the press there. You'll have the fans. So I'm potentially excited to see. I wish I had your faith and. Because I know I've not got faith. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, pay, I'm just going to get people's hopes up to tear them down, aren't I? You so. really are, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I but, don't think anyone is, is really imagining that because it. No. It is um, unless E on R and they're listening, then they can just get well, in contact so, with yeah. me, and I'll help yeah. them organise it for free. Um, Would be, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I just, I listen. We're going to get to see Shirley Bassey sing live, so that that that's a rule in itself. But I just. I just think there's something else happening for that to be on the the night. It's the mm. it's the anniversary day, isn't it? The 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 evening of the dots. Yeah, maybe that's why like, they haven't invited ex Bonds because they want to. They want all the constant. They want to concentrate the new one. I'm not gonna lie. I just he won't be there. But if Piers Brosnan just turned up, that's, that's oh, cool. yeah. now, we'll be on the news. This person fainted in the Royal Albert Hall. Yes, all Piers Brosnan. <laughs> He'd get the biggest cheers ever, wouldn't he? He really would. Of course, it was. I mean, you know what's really sad. I'm gonna probably do the Black Adam premiere if he comes to London just to try and meet him. I probably tempt oh. fate by saying that loud now, but I didn't care about The Rock or that awful film. I just want to that, see Piers Brosnan. That trailer looked pretty shocking. That's all I say. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's got like a great Russian accent. I was like, oh, you're not really, you know, the Zakowski, but I'll uh, Piers Brosnan has a free pass anytime. But I won't watch Mamma Mia because I can't. I can't see James Bond singing and dancing. I'm sorry. Well, it's sad for us. Some of us Bond fans that after this long run, there's only one Pierce left. You'd argue it's the end of the well in the timeline. Arguably, that comes. This one comes to an end, doesn't it? Die of the day, and then we have a new timeline with the Daniel Craig years. So we're going through these films thick and fast. We'll just digest the world is not enough a bit more this week and really keep praising it. You know, beyond this year, die of the day. Who knows? Maybe that will get. I think it's, that's never going to be seen as a classic, of course, but. All we need to show infamous. It's an infamous well, film. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I've got lots of thoughts, but we can do that next week. But well, we'll <laughs> I, I I think people are still too harsh on it. Like there are some things that are genuinely horrific, but they'll like overlook the things that do work. Correct. And we want to be positive on here, so we want to we'll yeah. highlight those. Yeah, I I will. Don't worry. I cannot wait. I, if there's like three people in the screening, I'll be sure to celebrate in their absence. Right, George. We will touch base again when we've seen that masterpiece, but from one to another. The world is not enough. We've got our main review that's that's still out there, which we had Math, Rob, and John on. Of course it was John, yeah. And then we did our Michael Apton tribute as well. So we've got lots of lots to talk about. And of course we do still have that review we did of it with Cinema Savvy, which was another nearly three hours, maybe. Of, uh, <laughs> of yeah, I think so. It was a long, yeah. it was a great one though. Again, it we had to make one. it happen, and and this is the one for me. Again, it's it, I think the the best Bond conversations when it's the ones personal to people. Yeah, uh, and I think hearing other people's stories is just really exciting with, with the sort of Bond stuff. So it's no different for these. Well, hopefully you'll have heard John's case for the world is not enough. 
I hope you'll have sent that in. But thank you, George. We will see you next week for Dine of the Day. Can't wait. Brilliant. Thank you so much, and I'll see you then too. Any word? No. Still no contact. Always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey. Is that a Christmas joke? For me? No. No. So isn't it time you unwrapped your present? Oh, I think so. Look, what's that? The car. So he must be nearby. Where? up body heat so humans come out orange there I thought you said he was with Dr. Jones it's getting redder premature form of the millennium bug.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.